Welcome to episode 227 of Destination Linux. Now, whether you're brand new to open source or you're a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Noah. Delighted to be here with you today. And with me are my co-hosts, Jill, Michael, and Ryan. Now, on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we have an exciting interview with the CEO of Shell's Virtual Computing on the Cloud, along with our VP of Technology regarding their virtual desktop product. And we've discussed with just a few episodes back. Now, we're going to take a look at the Tuxedo Infinity Book Pro. This is a Linux-based laptop, and it's just entered the market with a really impressive 2K and 3K options. Plus, our tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this coming up right now on Destination Linux. In our community feedback, Michael Rice is to say, by the way, great name, Team DL. I am very grateful that you do such a wonderful show. Because of your show, I was able to learn about self and attended it in 2019. Hopefully, we'll all be able to meet up sometime when uh, for some no. more room temperature beer next year. <laughs> uh, allow me to comment on the show to 226, which was last week, uh, regarding uh, fax, machi fax machines at one time only a signature on a fax was legally binding in some states. Many years ago at a job in Virginia, my team would have a customer sign in return a fax uh, stating that they knew the, the, the complications of having the password to the router my company supplied. The signed fax was their consent to assume liability should they you know, screw up their configs or anything. Uh, Noah, who was talking as fast as he normally does, which is yeah, a good point, uh, mentioned that he would go into Radio Shack and buy parts to put things together. And you know, nowadays, kids just want to go into Best Buy, and I'm sure they appreciate that free plug, and just plunk down their uh, money in order to have a turnkey entertainment solution. Similar things can be found in the hobby world. Uh, many people want uh, want ready-built built, uh, buildings for their <laughs> model railroads, or RC guys want planes that they don't have to put together and stuff like that. But for me, the part of joy to have these kinds of things is the burst of amazement, amazement with people when they when you answer yes to the question, "Did you build that?" <laughs> and thanks to all thanks to all of you for doing such a wonderful job with your show, Michael. So and, I guess my first question or my first response to the facts discussion that we had of this was regards to an episode we did where technologies we wish would go away is, well, I think it's interesting that definitely some governments may require this on some of the paperwork or official documentation uh, for a signature. It still doesn't mean this technology shouldn't go away. And the government is well known for being very far behind in adopting technology. You know, 20 years from now, they'll probably have uh, scanners and things like that that they can use. Um, but the fact that it's kind of the law and it's required to be on a fax is frustrating because that most people don't have fax machines anymore. There was a point when I, ha I remember having a fax machine mm -hmm. in my house. It was kind of a requirement. Mm -hmm. um, I'm glad that point is gone and I don't mm -hmm. want it to come back. And so, <laughs> but it is interesting to think that a lot of times those type of forms of communication are required for certain types of activities to take place. Regarding the wanting everything ready built, this is really fascinating subject for me. Yeah. Um, what I try to display on Hardware Addicts is a passion for building your own computer at some point in your life, whether you're somebody who says, I could never do that. I don't think I could do that. Um, I love doing it in my day-to-day -day life. Uh, we joke about my wife being at Best Buy at the Geek Squad portal where she overhears people saying, um, hearing the Geek Squad tell them, oh, that'll be $600 to repair this. And she's like, 
here's my husband's number. He'll do it for free. I'm like, stop that. Um, because I love working on this stuff. And she knows that. But I also love teaching people to build their own machines, to repair their own machines and those type of things. So I, I really do enjoy that. And there is something amazing about putting your own PC together, hitting that power button and seeing it post for the first time. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I've been doing it since I was a kid. To this day, every time I hit that power button and the post screen comes up, I'm equally as excited. Like it worked. I actually did it. I didn't mess anything up in here. I connected all. And when it doesn't post, I get really frustrated um, because I should know how to do all this stuff by now. But there is something <laughs> special about building something with your hands and understanding how something works. And I think that comes from us as parents too, to make sure that we're doing those type of things with our kids under teaching them the insides of a computer, how these things operate, how these tools function, um, letting them build a PC. When my son built a PC, he's eight for the first time. I think we did it when he was six or seven. He was there just helping me, handing me parts and things like that. They loved it. It was fascinating. It's bonding time. And they're learning about these things they use every day are far more complex. It teaches them to think on a different level, I think. So I absolutely agree. The ready-made stuff is great. Maybe somebody just wants to go you know, fly an RC car and they don't want to have to build it. But at some point, if you love the hobby, consider going the other direction of building one yourself. Yeah. And I also can say that uh, thanks to Hardware Addicts, Ryan has convinced me to do a lot of stuff myself. Uh, <laughs> I am very grateful to him and also annoyed by him doing that because uh, that means I have to do it. Uh, but it is it is fun. And I've also built my computer, my the desktop that I'm running the show on. I did build it myself. And it was uh, it was fantastic to say like, oh, I did it right. Wow, that's great. Uh, yeah. that is a, that is a wonderful feeling. So that is a good point. Uh, but I also wanted to go back to the fax machine cause we got a bunch of comments in the live chat and in the patron chat about the fax machine part. Uh, I made it as a joke. I put it in the show cause like, you know, I'm surprised that this still exists and still things people use. Uh, but to hear that, you know, some, you know, legal binding stuff is somewhat used. This is kind of like, I mean, I guess, sure. But you know, you could still, just scan it with a printer or a printer scanner because they all all the all the printers now Your have like an all-in-one scanner, and, a scanner or app. a phone. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So many, you know, things that we, I think at this point we could safely say that the fax number is no longer a thing. And when I see it on a business card, like, oh, I remember twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, fax, faxes are definitely a thing. They're they're used in the medical industry. They're used in the law industry. But mm -hmm. it's something that the industry is slow to move away of, and legislation that le legislation is is kind of slow to move. And there are some e options to to get faxing and stuff integrated into computers. But I think we can all agree that outdated technologies, so we can just move away and go to encrypted emails if we want a secure way to communicate from one place to the other. Yeah, well said. Nice. I mean, there's there's definitely no encryption on the fax machines. <laughs> <laughs> so, Michael, thank you for sending in that email. It wasn't you, right, Michael? Uh, this time, no, it wasn't. Not this time. Okay, this time, not this time. You usually try to disguise yourself better. And we'll see it like, that Michael guy is really smart, and I just delete the email. Um, but thank well, that's you. That's why it keeps going away. That's why it keeps going away. Thank you so much for sending in this email. We love hearing from our worldwide community. If you want to get your email, your thoughts on the show, what we want you to do is get your official DLN mug. Jill's going to show it here. There you go. Or water bottle. Water that works bottle. too. Fill yes. it with some coffee or bubbly. <laughs> Sit down on your nearest stool and send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. That's comments at destinationlinux.org. Or you can join our DLN forum and post your comments and questions there, and they may get included in the show. This episode of Destination Linux, it's brought to you by DigitalOcean and their new app platform, Digital App 
DigitalOcean's app platform service as a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. DigitalOcean's app platform has support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, and StaticSide. What does all that mean? Well, it means you simply point your DigitalOcean uh, account to your GitHub repository and let DigitalOcean do all the heavy lifting for you. The infrastructure, it does everything. It does the app runtimes, the dependencies. So all you have to worry about is writing and pushing code. It allows you to se secure your apps automatically so they have incorporated some of the latest technology to include things like renewing your SSL certificates and protect your apps from DDoS attacks. All of these things can be run with little to no customization. Also, their app platform uses open cloud native standards, which means it automatically analyzes your code and creates containers and runs them on Kubernetes clusters. Now, the best part is because you're a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and DigitalOcean likes Destination Linux and we like them and everyone likes you, as a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. That's right. Actually, better for free. They're going to give you some money to get started on DigitalOcean because they know if they give you a hundred, did I read that right? A hundred dollars? We're giving a hundred dollars away. You yeah. get a hundred dollars just by going to do.co slash DLN. Now, why would they give you a hundred dollars to run servers for free? Well, because they know if they give you that hundred dollars for free, you're first of all, you're going to get to run. I think the servers are $5 a month yeah. to start with. So do you know how yeah. many servers you can run on that first month for a hundred dollars? A lot. It's like a lot, 20. Uh, and so once they give you those 20 servers, they know that you're going to continue and you're going to become a DigitalOcean customer for life. And so we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring. You can get started by going to do.co slash DLN. That's do.co slash DLN. Apply that $100 credit, spin up one monster server for $100 or spin up 20 little $5 droplets. The choice is yours. But in either way, a huge thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. This week, we'd like to welcome the CEO of Shells, along with their VP of Technology, Zlatan Torovic. Uh, Alex and Zlatan, welcome into Destination Linux. I want to start out by asking for the origin story. Tell me, what is Shells and how did it get started? And so Shells has always been something that's been on my mind for, for a number of years. And then just, you know, I think this year was kind of the year where, you know, you had 5G come into play, right? 5G speeds. Obviously, internet continues to get faster and faster. You know, Wi-Fi becomes more available. And then, you know, obviously a negative slash positive, you know, with the pandemic that occurred, everyone just kind of moving to the remote uh, working and learning, you know, environment has really kind of just, it's like the perfect storm for for something like the the virtual desktop to really flourish. So that that in combination with the fact that we just strongly believe that that you know the virtual desktop really is kind of like the future of computing. I you know, I I really think that that's where everything's going to continue to move towards. You know, trying to converge devices into one. You know, all of these things are things that I I, I really strongly am backing. Obviously, I'm biased a little bit, but you know, I'm definitely no, it, backing it. <laughs> it makes sense. When did shells get founded originally? So it was really sometime in July last year, but we really have not started marketing until I think uh, January, February this year. I mean, the, the timing of it with everybody, their, their organizations, even the one I'm a part of has tens of thousands of employees. We had to massively change our infrastructure so fast to this virtual environment in order to adapt to what was happening with coronavirus and everything else. I mean, I, I have to to say that the timing is fantastic of getting shells at that point because of everything that's changed in our world. And, and a lot of people are saying it's staying that way. People don't want to go back to work. They want to stay virtual or have a hybrid situation where they're half virtual, 
half in the office and things and having access to a virtual desktop environment like that is just, it, it's kind of ideal um, in, in this current state of things. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of stuff that's really interesting about shells, but uh, for those who are not familiar with uh, virtual workspaces, tell our audience how a service like shells works. With shells, we have images that we basically call them shells, but it's uh, basically QCOV image converted to be remote desktop ready. Uh, for the technology, we elevate the current Linux technologies like QMU and Spice. So basically with QMU, we bring up the virtual environment and then use Spice to basically do the remoting for it. So in a nutshell, it's just that a bit elevated on our side. So what are some of the unique ways you've seen shells get used or implemented in production? Yeah, so I mean, there's definitely a wide range of use cases. And one of the things I always like to compare it to is like, if you think about when the iPad first came out and, and you know, someone was like, okay, why do I need this thing that's bigger than my phone, right? And, and, and the more you think about it, you have like the people who are like the five-year-old using it to watch cartoons and then the 40-year-old who's using it for serious work. So mm-hmm. like the range is wide, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we see the same thing with, um, with shells where, you know, there, there's the person who's like contacts me and it's like, hey, Alex, I have a desktop computer sitting in a warehouse and I will only use QuickBooks desktop version. How can I access that from my home, right? So, so you know, that's that's a pretty general use case. It's like, hey, you want access to the app of your choice on the OS of your choice, you know, that's that's what you can do. There's there's other people who, you know, have been using it for like uh who manage social media accounts for like companies. And, you know, you think about social media, there's no like admin, you know, there's no admin account, right? It's like one username pass for like a Twitter account for a company that could be, you know, millions of people. So in that they're like, okay, let's put all the social media accounts into one shell's computer and we'll manage it there. Then different people can manage it. So it's kind of a quick, easy way to do that. So. I could go on and on, basically. Right. Yeah. I've seen I've seen people talk about using it for game servers and things like that, which is fascinating to me. They're they're running Minecraft servers or other things on these virtual workspaces. Is that become popular? Yeah, yeah. Because um, the the way our product is set up, and and we do offer like a like a Ubuntu server and so on, so you can actually set up like a VPS since since um you know we offer IP addresses and so on, so you, you can definitely go that route as well too. It's interesting. The one time I really fell in love with this virtual workspace idea was we had a we had it at my work a server go down. The person that I needed. The most that had the most experience with it was out and about at a grocery store. And they grabbed their tablet and were able to log into the server and be able to get the server back online sitting in a grocery store, right? And it's a lot more complex with the laptop and things. You got to find somewhere to sit and everything, but they're, they're just standing in an aisle getting a server back online because they could log in through this virtual workspace into what we needed them to get into, which was just fascinating to me because they had their entire work setup that they would have if they were sitting at home right there in the virtual workspace on an iPad displayed, which was just, it's just amazing. Obviously, privacy and trust is really important when you talk about something like a virtual workspace and especially in the Linux community, which is you have a lot of your workspaces, obviously the virtual workspaces are based off Linux operating systems. How does Shells make sure to both respect the user's privacy 
and make sure there's security in the cloud-based platform? Yeah, so um, definitely, definitely, we take privacy very seriously. And so, um, you know, there's there's the basic features, like obviously we're offering, you know, two-factor authentication is highly recommended a must for users, right, in terms of setting up their account. Then you start to go into kind of the details or the back end of, of the product. And all of our communications on shells are, are through the uh, SPICE protocol. And, and that's done through like TLS encrypted links. You know, we have like default configuration of our machines um, basically to make sure that, you know, high se- there's, there's high security by disabling SSH password authentication. You know, a lot of our build, our, our build processes for the Linux distros are all open sourced as well too. And then, um, you know, if you go into sign of like the customer, the customer um, information and so on, you know, things like, um, you know, credit card payment information, all of that stuff. We don't hold any of that information that's actually held by, you know, our our third party uh, vendor who's, you know, PCI, DSS compliant, Stripe, you know, all of those things. And then on top of that, just to kind of touch on like my background, right? um, I was I was the CFO of Private Internet Access VPN. So, um, if you're familiar with that company, I mean, we we did not log user data. We did not sell user data, right? Um, I think we we showed multiple times, even through court cases, right, that there was there was never any instance of any sort of logging. You know, but we've always been privacy minded folks who you know have tried to you know stay involved with that community as well too. We donated to EFF, Fight for the Future, um, working closely with the open source uh, OSTIF, Open Source Tech Technology Improvement Fund, and just uh, been very involved with that that community as well as the Linux community and, and Zlatan. You know, he can touch even a little bit more on that. From my side, again, as Alex mentioned, that we take care that all the latest security technology is with us, and we pay attention to what's coming and what's upcoming. So we implemented it. Uh, We are improving the security on the front end, the back end all the time. And uh, for myself, I personally, I was previously the CTO of uh, Purism, which is the hardware and software oriented company. And we take security really seriously. I'm also a Debian developer. So I work very hard on, uh, on my side personally, but also from Shell's point of view that we implement all the best technologies uh, in behind. We really try hard to avoid any tracking of the users and not in sense avoid like just avoid it by mistake or something we don't we literally don't know what users are doing with their systems unless they you know send us the feedback and we plan to continue doing so so we don't gather any telemetry there is no opt-in or opt-out option we try to make it uh, clear that uh, we use only what we need to use and like yeah we know your username we obviously know your email because we are sending your codes. Uh, like every reinstallation requires you to enter a code that's sent via uh, email. So make sure that you're not going to delete anything by mistake. Uh, and those are the only basic things that we gather. Our privacy policy on the site is also very strongly oriented to, uh, to take care of GDPR and California-based uh, laws. So there are also options for users who are wanting to use a virtual workspace, but very concerned about privacy. They obviously during the installation of the distro they're using, they can implement encryption during that install. If that distribution has it, like if you're doing an installation of Ubuntu and or whatever you want to use Mint, um, you can turn down that encryption during the install. 
What is your ability to see what's going on in that virtual workspace if they've done those security tips? If they've, if they've done those tips, they've enabled encryption, what can you all see? So they don't need to enable that because we already enable encryption on our level. Currently, all the images built by shells, they run the shells kernel, which is gentle based on the upstream LTS, and we encrypt everything. So after they you know, bring up the image, everything is already encrypted, so we can't even spoof. You know, it's just going to be garbage that we would get even if we try to log anything. They can turn on. Of course, that's additional on their side. But again, it's already turned on on our side. Uh, and you all have taken this so seriously that you even allow people, if they want, to set up their subscription through cryptocurrency, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. We're going to add, we're planning on adding gift cards as well to even go a whole nother level if you want to go that way. So, wow, that's powerful. Mm. So you have multiple Linux distributions options available for people. And so whatever it is that they want to virtualize and put up into your infrastructure, you can do that. You even offer Windows as an option if that's something that somebody needs. What if somebody wants to use a distro that isn't officially supported? Maybe they want, maybe they have their own custom uh, thing, or I've even had circumstances in client scenarios in where they're using a custom kernel and, and they want to run something like that. Is, is, is there any sort of support for those kinds of scenarios? Uh, yes, uh, we already have option inside the shells where you can upload your own image, where you can even share your own image with other people that are not available uh, to shells uh, in the default way. And uh, so the way to do it, uh, we have open source all the scripts around building Linux images. So every image that you see currently on the shells is uh, open source from our side. We work with Endless and they wanted to actually have their own kernel running the entire uh, uh, session and uh, we allow that you can do that uh, if you want to another uh, have another architecture we for now added arm 64 but we could add you know power architecture or any other architecture that uh, you would need which is very interesting to developers in linux community because that way they don't need you know to buy hardware to test uh, bugs uh, inside the other architecture they can spin up shells and test it inside the shells what was uh, interesting for Linux community, and because I came from Linux community, and we all did distro hopping uh, at our time. Right. Mm-hmm. Naturally. Yeah. <laughs> and we all wished at some point, like, I just wish I could, you know, do my own custom OS, you know, just do something myself. Uh, we didn't plan to. This just happened because of the technology that was involved inside making everything really easy for users. So if you spin up, for example, Ubuntu on shells, and then, like, you know, you add your custom background, you add your default apps, you know, you install new apps, you remove some other apps that you don't like, you change some configuration, you have actually option, just it's one click away, there's no coding involved to export that as a new image and you can share it with anybody. It just, it gets unique ID so you can share. And that way you literally have, you know, your own custom OS with zero uh, programming knowledge. So we don't need to do anything on the coding side, just install, remove, whatever you need and it's going to you know spin out a new entire image and if you like it so much you know you can poke us and we can just send it as a default image uh, to shells as well sure tell me a little bit about the partnerships you have with um distros like manjaro and, and linux mint are there any other partnerships that you guys are working on and and how do those partnerships work uh, so so yeah right now yeah, it's manjaro mint OpenSUSE, kde so Basically, um, you know, depending on the organization, the, the partnerships vary. But the one 
the one key thing is that that all of these different distros they work with us when we're building the image um, in shell so you know let's use manjaro as an example i mean i i think we spent i don't know satan how many weeks but but literally you know we worked right with their engineers back and forth developing that image testing it you know and, and optimizing it because the I'll admit, at the very beginning, when we first started it, we were like, oh, this is going to be easy. We're just going to pull in this image and put on the shells. And then we found out that it wasn't that easy. So then I was like, um, I think we need the experts to do it. So, mm -hmm. so which is why we worked directly with the different distros and, and partnered with them in that manner. So, you know, OpenSUSE. Um, Manjaro, Mint, all of those, all of those, and then you know, moving on, like we're working with Cali now, and then Endless OS, Gnome, uh, all of these folks, we're working with them directly to try to develop uh, uh, an image together. And as far as those partnerships work, is there any? Obviously, they jumped in; they were helping build this, which I love. Everybody was smart enough to know, hey, let's call in some of the experts and and have them work with us along the space. Is there any kickback? To these folks, like if, if if I'm supporting shells and, and I do a mint image, am I also supporting mint too at the same time? Or how does that work? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, some of the distros, there's like the like an affiliate partnership, right? So if you click through their site and you know sign up, then then there'll be some commission that'll go back to them. But that's awesome. Um, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So absolutely, um, we're we're, we're doing what we can to give back. I love that. Yeah, that's that's very cool. Um, I, I'm I'm really interested in the way that shells works, and also like you know, because there there are other comp competitors in the market that kind of do some virtual workspaces and that sort of stuff. What advantages do you see that shells has over those competitors in this kind of virtual workspace market? Yeah, so I mean, I think where you're you're absolutely right, you know, and and it's one thing that I'm always telling people. It's like the virtual desktop is nothing new, right, by any means, but. Um, the one thing we've been really focused on is trying to make it simple and, and flexible where, where really anyone can use it. Obviously, we've been really focused on kind of the coder group, the, the tech savvy folks. But, you know, the fact that you can go onto shells and in five minutes have your machine spun up with the OS, you know, of your choice, like mm -hmm. there's no one out there that can do that right now, right? And, um, you know, I mean, some people are like, oh, what about the big companies? And then, you know, if you go to somewhere like Citrix, like you actually have to call someone to like get started, you know, so forget that, you know, so, <laughs> uh, so those are, those are definitely distinct advantages. I mean, obviously, you know, a couple other things where we're trying to be, um, uh, competitive with our costs. We're very transparent. You know, it's not like, okay, you pay this and then. I'm going to charge you by the minute. It's just, you see the number when you're signing up and that's the number that you're going to pay. So, so obviously you try to be transparent, high speed, you know, we have high speed internet offering, um, free snapshots. That's another big one, right. Where, um, you know, it's, and I, I always say like, that's, that's a really good advantage of having the cloud solution just because you always back up a computer after something has happened, right. It's always too late. <laughs> By the time you do it, <laughs> so so that's the big advantage with with our offering is that you don't even have to think about it. We're going to do it for you, whether you you know, and and don't worry about paying for it. So I think there's a couple um, interesting mm -hmm. things you brought up there. One was about the speed of starting up, 
Yes. I remember when, mm-hmm. when we got sent some keys a couple episodes ago, when we had just kind of found out about shells and then I was like, okay, I've got to set aside a bunch of time to go get this set up, get my account set up. And I set aside a bunch of time in my day and didn't use any of it because I was immediately set up in like four <laughs> minutes total. That includes yeah. like filling in boxes, right? Um, to, to do the initial registration. It, it's just, it's super fast. And then when I clicked to create my virtual workspace, I was waiting, like I was clicking and I was waiting. I was like, okay, this is going to take some time. And I was doing something else. And then I realized, oh my gosh, this thing's already set up. Like I looked back at the screen and it was there. Your speed of setup is incredible Mm -hmm. for getting started in this, which I could see being very advantageous to organizations, being able to spin something up that quickly within a snap of a finger, which is awesome. I think the other thing that's interesting is your the, the amount of bandwidth that you allow. Can, can you talk about how much bandwidth you allow? So if I'm on that virtual workspace, I've signed up for one of your plans. Is there a limit to how much downstream and upstream data I have between the service? Nope. No There's limits. none. So, nice. Okay. So it's unlimited <laughs> bandwidth and transfer unlimited, is it unlimited snapshots as well. Like are they so automatically the snapshots? Done? The snapshots are done. Yeah, it's automatic, but it's only, it, it keeps seven days, seven days worth of snapshots. It takes one every day. So that's really interesting. And the, all, the automatic part of it is really interesting. And the way that Ryan was talking about the setup process, it was, I, I did a bunch of testing on top of the setup. Once I set it up, I was like, you know what? How fast could I destroy this and then rebuild another one? And then I found in like there's a reinstall section where you can just switch the OS, and it took it took like I mean maybe 45 seconds or something to have a new setup of a new OS. It's super fast. And that yeah. that was really interesting because mm-hmm. I also did that for every other OS that's on the platform to see how fast it was, and even the Windows one was surprisingly fast. Which sounds like I'm jabbing at Windows, and I am. There, there's, a <laughs> there, there, there's a. It's really interesting, especially with the responsiveness of like the real time feedback. That's the thing that really shocked me was the speed of setting up was cool, but the the responsiveness of how like there's a little bit of a delay, but not enough to really have any issue. Uh, and I wanted to ask you like the the way it works. How long did it take to master magic? <laughs> so. That's a good question, Michael. <laughs> yeah, we're we're getting to the deep questions now. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of voodoo are you using behind the scenes and let us in on it i mean i'll touch on it high level and then maybe slatan can go into a little bit more detail but i can tell you like we have a lot of amazing magicians which is which is very beneficial because uh, because honestly we have some coders on our team you know slatan included that that can do a lot of things and you know half the time that other people can but I mean, like I mentioned, we started this project back in like mid 2020 and then, you know, been working on refining it. And then, you know, between my poking and just telling people, hey, this isn't fast enough. And then, you know, the brain power of everyone else. I mean, they, they've what you see is, you know, the work over the last whatever, six to eight months, essentially. So I, I love that one of our patrons did a quote in here. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So well done. Yeah, Alex and 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 me too. We were so we were all so impressed with the speed of shells and not just the boot process, but the way applications were working, like using the GIMP or Caden Live. 
you know, it was actually a workable solution with multimedia, which is a feat in itself. <laughs> and that's on the very basic plan. We'll get into plans later, but yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. yeah. Also, one thing interesting, you know, that is that, of course, we're going to have some latency from the, depending how close or far away you are from the data centers. And, and we still don't have like worldwide data centers. We do have them, you know, in US four, and we do have them in Europe and in Japan. But then again, you know, we don't cover most of the world and still works fine. But if, you know, I assuming you being the Linux geeks as well, you probably checked what's actually pushing the graphics stack. And you're going to see it's the basic LLVM pipe. And we do have in plan, and actually we do have in like in testing phase, the GPUs. And so that means that everything that's going to be, you know, graphical intensive, which is almost everything nowadays, uh, it's going to, you know, it's going to solve all that, you know, open and closing animation, running the video, uh, the work with the KDN Live. I, I saw that mm-hmm. you said you did it it's obviously possible to do it it's not something we would recommend it <laughs> oh i knew i was i knew i was breaking the rules when i did it yeah. <laughs> no no it's not breaking the rules it's just like yes you can do it but the, the, the amount of time it's going to take it's probably you know right. l- longer than you would expect it usually yeah when, uh, once you get those mesa and uh, nvidia drivers on there <laughs> it'll be really so are you going to use amd <laughs> gp have you all decided <laughs> on the graphics stacks are you going to use amd or nvidia or a combination or uh, uh, we didn't decide we have NVIDIA GPUs currently in the testing, but okay. we didn't decide mm. yet. Interesting. Uh, it's, you know, we need to make sure it's going to work very well with the servers, of course. So yeah. it's it's another stack. You can't just take the consumer GPU and, you know, hit them in the servers. There's uh, the heating mm. issue, the rack itself, you know, we need to modify yes. the rack. <laughs> and who can actually get GPUs anyways nowadays? Yeah. That problem. <laughs> yeah. The, ser- the servers one is still in better shape than the... <laughs> yeah, thankfully. Yeah, so one of the key features of Shells is being able to access your desktop on the go. What are some of the ways and devices people can use to access their virtual workspace? So, you know, this is this is one other kind of competitive advantage that we have versus the others is that, you know, you can access our product technically from anywhere that has, you know, a, the right web browser and then if you have an internet connection. so. I mean, whether you're talking about a phone, a tablet, an old computer, a Chromebook, you know, all of those you can use to to access shells. So obviously I always think it's cool to have, you know, like, like, uh, you know, my Linux distro on my iPad. So, and, and it's really smooth, you know, you, you full, it's full screen and it literally looks like, you know, a Linux machine. So, or there's the one here, I'm going to show you one other one. So, so I have this, right. My, um, Samsung Samsung phone and um, you know so we have the shells mobile app and it doesn't look like that clear but if I'm just I'm gonna open up a Windows machine only because it's very this one happens to be very colorful. Kick him so off the show, Michael. It. Okay, <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> I was gonna do my Mint machine, but then the Mint machine has a black background, so it's not very clear. <laughs> yeah. It's always hard to show video of a phone or any other device through another camera because it never quite matches refresh rate and everything. Exactly. So like you can see, so I have the windows up here. I opened up the keyboard here. This is the flip phone. So now I have my neat little smallest laptop of the world ever, you know? So, (laughs) so, (laughs) so, you know, I mean, literally, basically what I'm trying to get is it, you can use it anywhere. You know, I was, I was running the other day and I was speaking with um, 
the guy at Endless. And, you know, he they had just sent their image uh, over to us. And, and basically, I took the image and, and I just have to put the code into my Shells account. And I'm running and installing, you know, uh, you know, an OS onto my, onto my phone. As now I'm that's running. extreme so. distro hopping right there. I yeah. love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a new definition so. of it now. <laughs> well, the, yeah. the other advantages when you have this is let's say you're on the go and there's a specific file that you've been working on and you know, Michael calls me. He's like, Hey, I need that file uploaded for the show. I need the show notes or whatnot. I can literally from my phone anywhere while I'm jogging, while I'm sitting in line at a grocery mm-hmm. store, open my virtual workspace, open that, email it to them. And I've got my full machine right there virtually with me, which is, it's amazing. Right. Now he has no excuses to get to help. Them. Oh, darn it. <laughs> no, no, I'm not so sure. No. Um, and you- <laughs> I was going through my vintage hardware and I, I tested it on one of, on my original Asus EPC. <laughs> Did it work? <laughs> and it worked. Wow, you know, the nice. HTC cool. does awesome. run the internet a little, little slow, of course, but it worked and I was impressed with how fast it was. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, the, the range of devices, you can access this on your television. If your television yeah. has a browser and you're, you know, same scenario, somebody wants a file, but yeah. you're watching a show with your family, you could stop it, switch to the browser on your TV, get the file, email it and do all that from a television is there a limit? Have you guys found the limit of what hardware is too little for this? It's yeah. mostly based. Can it run, you know, uh, in the browser? Uh, so we would say like newer browsers. We didn't go how far back can we go regarding that? But again, then we developed also the, the, the client itself, which is has more performance, of course, compared to browser. And uh, our CTO actually tried really hard to push it, the compatibility really, really, really back. So I think like you would even be able to install on a very old Linux itself, the client and the browser, I guess any browser that came out in last maybe even decade would be able to run it. Well, we, Jill has her own museum, uh, literally. Like, What's the oldest computer you think you have, Jill, off the top of your head? I have a... Um... Oh gosh, a, a deck terminal from the '60s. Okay, can we try oh, wow. to get shells running on the deck <laughs> yeah. terminal uh, for science? Of course. That yeah, it's actually a PDP-11 terminal. <laughs> nice. We actually developed the shells uh, command line interface that we, you know, we're gonna expand it, but it's now just nice. your shells upload new images, uh, etc. But yeah, you, oh, great. you will probably be able to do 95% things in terminal as well. Yay! That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> You know, many people believe accessing a workspace from the cloud is going to be the future of computing. This, You're going to be carrying around a phone or some type of mobile device, and we see gaming industry going this direction, for instance, right? Where you're going to be virtualizing everything for the games, all that GPU power and expensive components. It's all going to be in the cloud, and you're just going to have an interface to that cloud. I know this is more of a, a general question, but what are your thoughts on this becoming the reality? How far off do you see this as being the future? Or is the virtual workspace and the cloud thing more of a hybrid where we'll always have both? What are your thoughts? I mean, I think if you kind of look at um, where, where things are moving, like I, I always like to use the example of Dropbox and, and cloud storage, right? Where if you think about that at the beginning, you know, just like with everything, the adoption is slow and you know, people have to get that trust and comfort level. So, you know, fortunately, I think Dropbox and Box has, has covered some of that 
comfort level issue that people had with the cloud for us, you know? And then I call our solution the Dropbox on steroids because, yeah, you can Mm -hmm. save, but now you can edit, create, modify. You can do it all. And in all honesty, our prices are not that much different than a Dropbox. So it's like, Mm -hmm. why not, you know? So I, I absolutely, you know, think that it's the future and you can see the big, you know, big companies are all going all in from, you know, your Amazons, you know, with Amazon Workspace, Microsoft, you know, like you said, all the different cloud gaming platforms, Google, it's clear that it's moving in this direction. Now, when you talk about space, the one thing that people will talk may, may come up is that the amount of space that you get, depending on the plan that you have, and we'll get into the plans in a second, but do you have the option of linking something virtual space like a Google or a Dropbox, for instance, to be to add additional space to shells, or how does that work? So today, that's that's not set up that way. So um, you know, in our roadmap, it is actually kind of one of the things we're thinking about creating our own kind of cloud storage solution. So that's something that's in our mind. But today, basically. You would just go about it like you would on a on a normal computer, where you just go and log in in the browser to Dropbox or or whatever and access your uh, your drive. Gotcha. So as long as you do it on like the regular the built in way that these services already have, you can still do it. It just wouldn't be you know into a direct integration system. Exactly. Okay. Today it's not like that. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah. I I did to do a test that I was not expecting to work. And I knew it would be kind of ridiculous, but I created some files on these uh, one of the the shells I've I set up, and then I changed the OS, thinking like, is there a possibility that these files will still exist transitioning from the OS? Is there any plan for that to have functional in in the future to be able to do that? So we plan to actually create what's something that you would see usually in the installers, where you would choose you know like a home partition and then you know the rest uh, root where it is. So we plan to have something like that, basically kind of like your own home partition. And when you start reinstalling, you know, your assets, everything that's in home is going to stay in home. That's obviously data, some configuration, and obviously some configuration is not going to work because different distros uh, put the configuration in different places or do it different way. But that is in roadmap, uh, maybe even uh, by the end of the next month, we even implemented that. I'm not promising anything, but that's definitely something you want to do. Because again, myself and Mark, we, we come from these backgrounds, Linux, and we it's going to make it a bit more complex as a software, but the solution you know, to have that is obviously superb to what we currently have. And uh, that way, anybody can you know do distro hopping without losing any data. Very interesting. One of the things that I thought was was interesting about shells is you uh, you you cater to a lot of different markets, right? Personal marketplaces, workspace marketplaces, students, educators, workers, coders, content creators. Um, and with that comes some different pricing models, different pricing tiers. Can you talk a little bit about how those pricing tiers uh, align to those different markets? Our, our pricing tiers, uh, I'll admit, are probably like not like 100% focused on specific markets. So really the way the tiers are just set up is based on, and and I think I say that because again, there's so many different use cases. So, you know, if you're a student, you may have a light use case or you may have a heavy use case and the same thing may may be for the workers. But, um, you know, what, the only thing I can say is we've done our best to try to make sure it's catered towards both the personal workspaces as well as the business workspaces. I mean, that's, that's the one thing we try to do a good job of uh, based on our pricing tiers and plans, just because 
you know, like we talked about earlier, I, obviously there's, there's a great place for, for the individual use, but, but then on the business side, you know, I think that there's so many opportunities with those small businesses being able to set up a quick infrastructure, you know, without needing an IT expert or something like that. I mean, um, I, I was talking with, uh, Salesforce the other day, and and I was talking to them about implementation of something, and and they told me they're like, oh yeah, well you need you need four to six weeks to to implement Salesforce, and I was like, but why? And they're like, oh well, you know, it takes some time to um you know set up set up an email server and 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 uh, connect that with an IP address, and I'm like four to six <laughs> weeks, and she's like. You have to understand the people we work with are not tech savvy, you know, and, and, you know, but that kind of, you know, that was like, okay, it's clear. There's, there's people out there that are going to need something like this, you know? Yeah. um, Kind of a reassurance of that for sure. Now you have a plan as low as 495 a month. That's the one plan that has a limit in the amount of time you can be on it, right? That's a 10 hours a month. But yeah. then you go up to 995, which is unlimited use. And of course, you don't have any bandwidth restrictions in there. You get one processor, 40 gigabytes of storage, and two gigs of memory. And then from there, you have a 1995 where you get the two processors and 80 gigs. And then, of course, four processors and 160 gigs on a 3695 a month with eight gigs of memory. Storage is the one thing on this whole thing that is, is, is low. Is that, is there something that, you're looking at with storage, as storage prices continue to decrease, is this something we could see increase in the future on these plans? Or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think just just because, you know, we are starting out, we've had to kind of create, make sure we have like default, you know, pricing plans. So uh, you know how it is. The more customization you add, the more, um, Oh yeah. let's say, I'll, I'll leave it at complexity. I was going to say mm-hmm. headache, but I'll say complexity. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, so, so that's definitely in the pipe, you know, in the pipeline for things to try to do that. Cause we have had several customers approach us. They're like, Hey, I just want more storage. You know, a lot of people have asked that, that they just want more storage. Gotcha. And what kind of hardware is powering these pops? Can you get into that a little bit? Um, Mark is the main person for this, but we use the Intel. See on uh, servers, nothing out of regular from that. To be honest, nothing special. Really right? Didn't. There's nothing, nothing super yeah. custom or anything <laughs> like that. There. We didn't do any customization. No. Yeah. <laughs> you you would expect to from us to do that, but no, no, we we didn't yet do that. I like how you said yet. Yes. <laughs> well, spoken like a true geek because you can't not at some point, right? Yes. Just to play, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. I also, I mean. Being part of the community, I also work with the Pine community, so the Pine phone, oh, yeah. Pine awesome. and everything. And one of the ideas that TL and me discussed, and TL is the founder of Pine, uh, it's uh, how to hack actually the, the Pine books, not the pro one, just the Pine books, and to hack the U-boot itself and get them to uh, boot straight away into the shells. So that way you would, you know, be able to oh, just send cool. over one hundred dollars laptops to everybody, and instead of having, you know, like, what a cool concept. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I dig that, man. That is really cool. I, we love the Pine folks. Like they, they're so the the stuff they're doing is just so cool to us. Um, every time they release something new, it's a 
pretty much mm-hmm. got to have it. So I, I love their hacking mentality with hardware and how they do things. Yeah. Very cool company. Very, very interesting things they're doing. And also I saw something that uh, I wanted to verify, see if this was possible, but it seemed that you could take existing VMs that you already have in uh, like Vert Manager or VirtualBox or something like that and put them into shells. Is that accurate? Can you do, can you do that? You can, you just need to basically create them to be, you know, in the shells format. So, you know, you get the, your own format and then just convert them. Our converter is open source on GitHub as well. So, nice. so you can you convert do, it from like VirtualBox or Vert Manager or whatever, and then turn yeah, it yeah, into just, shells. You know, you, you can extract and just find the system image and then make sure, you know, that you have like uh, extend the root partition of it. So it has like uh, eight gigabytes and make sure that uh, it has the disk resize in the image itself. Because, you know, you wanted to resize the image that uh, it's available for you in the shells. And speaking of that, Endless OS by Robert McQueen and, and his uh, uh, band, they basically just use their virtual, I, I don't know if it was QCOV or, or one from the virtual box, I'm not sure, extracted, converted to shells, and it run out of the box. Their own kernel, their own disk resize, everything worked out of the box. That's very, very cool. Very awesome. Yeah, I, I thought that that would be like something really cool to be able to, to be able to do, and I was just I was kind of hoping it was there. So that's really interesting. That's that's a feature that you already have. It's possible, uh, but we've talked about some other features that you're already doing, and I'm very curious. What are some new features that you're planning to implement into shells? Like, could you talk about that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so again, we want to continue to just make the experience as like seamless as possible. So it's just you know your uh, another desktop, right? So, so some of the things there that. You know, we, we still don't have webcam support. So that's something that that we're continuing to work on. Um, you know, USB support, you know, the, the simple way I'll call this drag and drop, right? Pull something in from your local computer right into to shells, you know, that those are things and, and vice versa. You know, and then there's obviously little features here and there to make make the uh make the client look better and so on. There's there's the um continued partnerships like like we mentioned. You know, we have Cali coming up this month. We have uh, Endless, Gnome, Soren, Elementary, you know, all of these guys we're working very closely with. And then one one other cool play is the one that um, we've been working on quite frequent for, for I don't know how many, couple months now, but but is is Android OS, right? So so we are also offering Android OS and then it's going to have SIP implementation. So I'm lucky to have I have an I have a working Android phone on my shells essentially, right? I can make phone calls from my shells Android OS and I can receive phone calls. So nice. the cool thing about that one is like now it's like the phone in a phone. So if you have your personal <laughs> phone, right? And then, and then, you know, a lot of work people nowadays carry the two phones. Yeah. Now you don't have to issue another phone to your employee. You just give them a Shell's account. They can set it up within their, their iPhone or whatever. And then they'll have their own little environment where they can download apps. You can have two WhatsApps, right? On your Brilliant. phone, two telegrams, whatever the case is, right? And, and now you have your phone and phone. So that's, that's one thing we're really excited about, actually. Yeah, that's very interesting. As we kind of wrap up here, if there's anyone out here, maybe they're hearing about shells for the first time, or maybe they're saying that's that's really fascinating. This is this is the work that I've been called to. Is there any way to get involved with your project, involved with your company, or get started? Where would you recommend people start? We're we're always open to the community connecting with us. I mean that that's one thing we will always do our best to you know respond to anyone and everyone who can 
who can help out and get involved. I, I mean, as you can see, there's so many different areas that we're kind of touching, whether it's, you know, uh, trying to get distros optimized or, you know, continue to work on our client. Like there's, there's a lot of opportunities and I'll admit we're a very small team. I hear it from Zlatan all the time. We're a very small team. Need to hire more people. <laughs> and I'm like, mm-hmm. Small team know. doing powerful <laughs> things though, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. De- definitely. I mean, uh, any help we can get is, is, will be great. <laughs> I wanted to thank you so much for being on the show, but also there's, I wanted to thank you for responding to the comments in the patron chat. So people have been asking questions during Mm -hmm. the interview, in addition to the questions we're already asking, and you were answering those in there. And I wanted to call out the one that was about like, we we mentioned the hardware doing the things. And naturally, there are people who are interested in the AMD support, because there are a lot of uh, big fans of AMD these days. And in the chat, uh, they were asking about support for that. And you did mention that you are doing uh, testing or on the roadmap for testing and that sort of stuff. You know, an extra bonus section for our patrons asking questions and you answering directly. So I just want to thank mm-hmm. you for that. That was very, That's very cool. Awesome. Thank you so much for both of you for taking the time to join us on the show. We appreciate it. You guys have an open invitation to join us again. We'll get you back in the program soon. Thank you. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. It's awesome. It was our pleasure. Yeah. Yay. yeah. So does everyone remember how much you loved your old 1610 aspect ratio, 1920 by 1200 resolution computer monitor? Well, now you can get that exact ratio and, and display on a laptop made just for Linux. And this is a tuxedo computers uh, that just released a a new laptop called the infinity book pro uh, 14 inch. And it's a name. That's yeah, a good name, right, Michael? They did good yeah, on the yeah, Infinity Book Pro is fine. I have no problem with that. Yeah. It's it's not like the uh, <laughs> Intel eleven thirty five G seven whatever nonsense. <laughs> yeah, you know. So it's it's much better than you know, some companies. <laughs> and it's got a fourteen inch screen, so obviously yeah, Infinity Book Pro fourteen, and you know it's light and compact and very mobile. And the one of the interesting things about it is yes, it has a sixteen ten Omnia three K display is 2880 by 1800 in our beloved uh, uh, 1610 aspect. Or you can just just uh, get one with 1920 by 1200 as well. So, so. Uh, real quick, when, when you <laughs> asked me about the name of it, were you, were you responding to the fact that I was smiling? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I was smiling at the, the the fact that you had. You remember the much loved uh, sixteen by ten, or the you know the th- I, I can't stand sixteen by ten. Uh, we talked about it on Hardware Addicts. If you want to check out that, because yeah. yeah. the three by two is a is a great uh, is my favorite aspect ratio. <laughs> but this is not to say that this is a bad display or anything. It's just. You know, people have preferences. It's not your preferred workspace. Yeah, everybody yeah. has preferences yeah. and stuff. And I think sense. 16 by 10 is a fine aspect ratio. And with the 3K one, that is very interesting. I don't like 16 by 10 on the like 1080p style ratio. Uh, but in terms of like this with 3K, it has a lot of potential. Okay, I'm, I'm struggling here though, Michael. And uh, <laughs> Wendy's actually here. So maybe even Wendy just uh, unmute and chime in here. 1920 by 12. Wendy's on the Hardware Addicts podcast with us. Does an amazing job as well. 1900 by 1200 resolution. How does that equal 2K? Can someone help me out here? So this is a fun little (laughs) snippet. And that is, I found this because I was researching this particular hardware and they mentioned it at 2K versus 3K. And I found out that 2K is accurate. You actually have a 2K, because 1080p is even technically 2K because the, the definition of 2K says 
approximately 2,000 horizontal pixels. And 1920, regardless of what the, the vertical is, is close enough to be considered approximately 2,000 pixels. So 1080p is technically 2K if you want to go there. While uh, there are definitely companies uh, who who use I'm the just, term 2K I, I don't like this. I, I got I to gotta admit, I, like, I love Tuxedo. I, I, I oh, don't yeah. like this use of 1920 by 1200 is WUXGA quality yeah. screen, yes. period. Yes. And to, to me, now I, I get that there's these caveats where you could say, well, technically it's it could be 2K because we don't have a government agency coming in and regulating the use of the term 2K. But to me, it's just misleading. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess it could be in terms of misleading <laughs> because some people use the term 2K to mean higher resolution than 1080p. But when I looked it up, I was curious about why they were using 2K. And it is technically true that you could use it. But I do think it is kind of weird because no one's going to really expect that to mean that. The, the To classify as 2K, there are so many different ranges that, that count and different aspect ratios mm. that count that makes it a little bit... See, I'll give term. them the 3K, which is the only one I would buy out of this anyway. So I guess that's the... That's the point right there oh, is yeah. the 2880 by For 1800. Sure. I, I can give you 3K, even though you don't hear about 3K. It's kind of something. I that, also think that the price yeah. between the two is very minimal. Isn't it like 50 bucks between the two? Yeah, you might like as well go for the 3K yeah. version, right? Yeah, I, and, and I just sure. wish they would change the, the wording on the 1920 by 1200 and call it what it is. I mean, it's fine to have a WUXGA version you can save some money on and a 3K uh, version there. That's that's my own, that's my only gripe there. Yeah, I yeah. I agree. The, the the my thing about the respect ratio is just a preference thing. But the two K versus three K, I think the three K is definitely worth the extra fifty dollars. Hey, Wendy, Wendy, are are you around, Wendy? I am, and I've been waiting for my a good time to jump in. And Neil brings up a really good point into this industry standard states, and I am on Lenovo's website that two K native resolution as of industry standards is 2048 by 1080 pixels. That is industry standard for 2K. There you go. I think <laughs> they should just change this. What do you think, Wendy? Aww. Yes, absolutely. That's a horrible definition. <laughs> you should have it set as what it is as the industry standard. Okay, so that aside, thank you, Wendy, so much for jumping on. <laughs> Wendy had no idea yes. she was going to be on the show today, yeah. <laughs> but I saw Wendy in the audience and I'm like, hardware addicts expert, come on, let's, let's bring Wendy in here. But for the rest of this stuff, I love what they're doing here. You have a magnesium chassis. This is something that is in my checklist of must have on a laptop, right? I don't want the plastic that indents when you push in. Noah sent me the funniest video in element of him doing that to a laptop. He was like, <laughs> hey, Ryan, look at this. And it, the whole thing's like indenting in with the finger press like that. I just can't stand that stuff. Um, they, they have very good options with their CPUs here. You got the Intel Tiger Lake i5 1135G7 and the i7 1165G7. You got a 53 watt hour battery up to 12 hours of runtime. You can get up to 64 gigs of RAM nice. at 3,200 megahertz, which is really nice. You get tons of ports on this machine, including the USB-C 4.0 port, Thunderbolt on there. I love tuxedo computers. I just didn't like the way they advertised this. I get it. Could you get away with it? Sure. Should you? No, in my opinion. But Aww. other than that, this looks like a really cool laptop. Yeah. yeah. It, it in their defense also, you know, in the industry, people get Ultra HD and 4K wrong because those are actually two different resolutions. True. So yep. we got to give them a little 
It's not an easy thing. If you go yeah. and look this up, you'll find six <laughs> websites that define it six different ways. It's a fact. It, yeah. It's very frustrating. And we tried to cover it on a Hardware Addicts episode. And even though I think we did the best we can, you still could argue it one way or another because there's so many people making up their own terms for it. I just think you know you want to, you want to try to be as close to industry standard as possible yeah. with these things. Um, this is a cool laptop. Go check it yes. out on their website, tuxedocomputers.com. And see what they're brewing here. I'm just very happy to see. If it looks like fully repairable from the internal pictures of this. I can see the NVMe drive. I can see the battery. You could easily access it and get to it there. Um, so you've got a repairable laptop, a nice magnesium chassis, a uh, nice 3K option available, which is the only one I would buy out of these. And yeah, you supporting Linux. So there you go. And you can have your own custom logo uh, on the display lid, like uh, the Destination Linux logo, or even Michael Stuhl. So I don't think they're going to allow the Destination <laughs> Linux logo after this episode, but yeah. if you hurry up before they see it, you might be good. <laughs> this episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Go, to, go right now to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your free account. If you're not familiar, Bitwarden is a password manager, and it allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do that? Well, Bitwarden provides you tools to store all of your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords for you, and even automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to do it. And you can have access to your passwords on many different types of devices, whether it's your web browser, mobile apps, desktop applications, or even on the command line. Now, why is this important? It is, it is important because you need to have a different password for every account on every website that you sign up. Up to. And that does sound like a lot to do and keep up with it, but that is exactly where Bitwarden comes in and solves all of your problems with the tools I mentioned. And in addition to that, Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your devices so you know you're the only person with access to your data. And you can go to bitwarden.com slash to get started with your free account. And I think you want to check out the premium account because it starts at less than a dollar per month. That's right. For just $10 per year, you get access to all of the great stuff that you get for the free account, but you also get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, uh, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, Priority Customer Service, and so much more. So make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your account. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. So in our gaming section this week, we're going to talk about Neon Wings. If you're in the mood for a futuristic racing game on Linux, go check out Neon Wings. It's only $4.99, first of all. So that's, that's a really good price for a video game. And here's some of the features you get. Three single-player game modes, tournament, time trial, single race, which are kind of necessities in a racing game, all three of those. You get four different race types. You get knockout, which is what I play with Michael, elimination, rush, and standard race. You get five increasing difficult tournaments, seven different skills to enhance your experience. Michael, you're going to love this. Seven original music inspired by the 80s. That's like your favorite time period ever. I don't know where you yes. got that, but sure, let's go with it. Why not? Ten customization <laughs> options for your hangar. So you've got hangar for, you know, having your different neon ships and things out there. So this is a really cool game. The developers describe the game want to race without constraints on the ground. The Neon Wings is your game. Air Race is adrenaline-filled, fast-paced air racing game with a lot of single-player and multiplayer fun. I checked this out. It's, it's really cool. For $4.99, you really can't beat it if you're into the racing-type games out there. Jill, 
Have you checked this one out? Oh, yes. I've actually already put about six hours into this game. Of course. I had nice. so much fun playing it. And I love racing games. And actually, one of my all-time favorites is the Tron and Cyberpunk-esque Distance. So mm. uh, this is very similar to that. And it's also similar to Race the Sun. And it actually reminded me a lot of the game Racing Sun, um, but, but 80s uh, theme with 80s theming. And the theming is actually really cool. Uh, it starts off with the classic pink, purple, and turquoise gradiated color palette visuals that you see on a lot of uh, <laughs> 80s games and awesome synth wave music. So it's, it's really a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, I enjoyed my time everything. with it. And it was really difficult, too, because I didn't read the, the flying part at first. So I kept crashing and I couldn't understand why. Yes. Because I was trying to keep it on the track, but the track kills you. So yeah. heads up to anybody <laughs> yeah, kind of a gamer as me, track. the track kills you because you're yep. flying. Not Pro tip from Ryan. Yeah. Don't on hit the track. And, thing. And, yeah. and when you're using the mouse, be careful Be careful with WASDA because that's how you get in trouble. <laughs> yes, indeed. And also, just uh, real quick, uh, isn't it kind of like, uh, it's, it sort of reminded me of F-Zero and Wipeout. Yeah, a little yes, bit. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm definitely looking forward to checking it out and also destroying Ryan in the knockout mode because obviously that's the one we're going to be playing. Yeah. <laughs> and also we what we have for you is a software spotlight. It's called explainshell.com and it is a tool uh, with a web interface that is capable of parsing man pages. And what it does is it basically extracts the options and explains uh, the command line structure matching each argument to the relevant help text in the man page. So it breaks it down piece by piece showing you like which, like you basically it's a way to easily learn what a shell command is doing or what a command line uh, process is doing by t taking each piece and then breaking it down and showing you like here's what this piece is doing, here's what this piece is doing and it's a really cool structure and it doesn't like a tree, a tree type explain explanation tool. I really think it's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, it, it basically takes any shell command, looks up the syntax and options from the man pages, and then steps you through what it does. It's a really, really cool thing. If you want to check it out, we'll have a link in the show notes below to check out Explain Shell. They also have a light and dark theme built into the browser yes, page, which makes me that. very happy. Yeah, <laughs> That no, is that a necessity really cool. at this point, apparently. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> So our tip of the week this week is connecting to Wi-Fi from the terminal. Now, you might say to yourself, why would I want to connect to Wi-Fi from the terminal? Well, it can be helpful when working with headless machines working remotely, or I've had this happen a couple of times, when your desktop crashes. And then the only thing you can do is Control-Alt-F1. Now you're back to a terminal and you could get the fix. If only you could update the system or do the thing, but you need internet. How do you connect to the Wi-Fi? We're going to show you how to do that in this week's tip of the week. So to accomplish this, very easy. All you have to do is install a tool. The tool is NMTUI, and that works in systems where Network Manager is the manager of the network, such as Fedora, Ubuntu, Arch, so on and so forth. And this will bring up a guided tool which will, let connection, which will list the connections and interfaces and will let you edit those connections and set things like your system hostname. Now, if your goal is just to get information on the network interfaces, you can use the command ls space slash sys slash class slash net. And this will list out all of your network interfaces. For wireless, generally, you want to look for the interface that starts with 
W for wireless. And then you can type something like IWList WLP7S0. For example, of course, you're going to replace the WLP7S0 with the with your interface that you found in the steps above. If you want to, if you want to continue to learn how to master, if you want to go, I guess this is a new thing, right? If you want to go from the new, uh, you're a new user to a master suitor, then continue to check out the tips and tricks section. Go back and watch previous weeks, and you can get started with everything from containers all the way through little things like this that uh, will get you out of a pickle if you find yourself up a creek without a paddle. Well, that's it. A big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. Over here, I'm going to pinch your cheek. If you want more DL, become a patron like all of these people here with us right now behind the scenes in our 96,000 square foot virtual stadium. That's right. 96,000. It's grown. We've added enhancements. It's amazing. You get VIP access to events and live recordings of Destination Linux every Sunday behind the scenes and the unedited versions of the show posted there. Become a patron on Patreon or sponsors. In addition, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're now live at DLNlive.com. And the best part, everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. Hey, we can't wait to see you in the chat. And also go right now to dealinstore.com and you can pick up some swag. You got we got a lot of awesome merch there. We got t-shirts. Uh, Jill is holding up the backpack that you can get with the Linux 91 uh, art. And also we have hoodies, mugs, uh, t-shirts, uh, stickers, uh, aprons, all sorts of stuff that you can check out by going to dealinstore.com. Also the water bottle that Jill is showing. Uh, this is actually something I need to get myself because I, I have uh, a you know a soda <laughs> bottle that I turned How into a lame, bottle. Michael. I know. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. I'm sorry. I'll fix it. <laughs> I'm going to go to dealinstore.com right now to get my water bottle. And we have so many amazing shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, woohoo! the DOS Geek Channel. <laughs> there, there goes Ryan dabbing again. <laughs> Deal and Extend, Hardware Addicts. Yay, Wendy. <laughs> she came in. <laughs> and get your game on with our latest show, GameSphere. So go to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these shows to keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Wait, Jill, you said hardware addicts and then you said yay, Wendy. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Wendy is not the only host on hardware. That is true. I'm also Me on. Me and Michael are people Michael. too. And I know everyone talks every time we do an episode about how great Wendy is, but we're there too. If it wasn't yeah. for us holding Wendy up, she wouldn't be as good as she is, okay? Hey, we girls have to unite on the okay, Destination right, Linux network. And also, uh, we, yeah. we are there, but really, I mean... You know, Aww. that's that's it. I love you, Ryan and Michael. <laughs> okay. All right. Good well, enough. I'll take it. I appreciate that. We love you too, Jill. Uh, everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Bye-bye. There we go. <laughs> See you next week, everybody. I don't stop. Like, I don't unfreeze from recording until I hear oh no do God. that. I'm like. Three weeks later, you still got his, like, right. his show smile on. <laughs> All right. So, patrons. Turn on your cameras, turn on your mics. I think we still have our folks from Shells on too. Man. Yeah. Hung out with us the whole time. <laughs> After seeing the whole show get produced, oh Alex, how gosh, embarrassed this... are you about showing up on Destination Live? <laughs> awesome. It's awesome. <laughs>